the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy December 30th, 2020. History, George Will once wrote, is like the lantern on a train's caboose, illuminating illuminating where we are not going. Looking back, in other words, gives us little to look forward to. It ignores what's in front of us. On the other hand, <clears throat> we've been taught again and again that if we do not study history, we are condemned to repeat it as the famous Harvard philosopher George Santayana once wrote. Somewhere in between, we know that we must embrace the coming month, January, named after the Roman mythological god Janus, who looked both forward and backward. And January is upon us, just about a week, less than a few days away. It's a time of New Year resolutions and looking back over the past year, both at once, simultaneously. We think about what we did this past year and what we can do better next year. We think about where we've been and where we are going. Which gets us to resolutions, New Year's resolutions. Since about 1988, I've disliked that word resolution for a reason you may think odd. It's the title of the final two episodes of the television show Magnum P.I. The second to the last episode was Resolutions 1, and the last ultimate episode was Resolutions 2. And I always felt a connection to that show, as around the same time the song by Paul Simon, You Can Call Me Al, was popular, with the lyric, Who will be my role model, now that my role model is gone. And there were a lot of things from that show that were exemplified that could be a lot worse in today's fair principles. Martial virtues, anti-communism, honor, loyalty, and deep, meaningful friendship, which to me is what I took from that show going forward, a deep commitment to the idea of friendship. You see, I think the Beatles got it wrong. We don't, at least I don't, get by from a little help from my friends. I get by with a lot of help from my friends. Aristotle put it this way in Book 8 of the Nicomachean Ethics, when men are friends, they have no need of justice. Well, when they are just, they need friendship as well, and the truest form of justice is thought to be a friendly quality. As one scholar explains the point, a complete life could not have been lived in solitude, so justice and friendliness between fellow citizens was essential. Let's keep that in mind. Friendliness between fellow citizens is essential, and that life cannot be lived in solitude. So I try to pay tribute to friends around New Year's, to me, they are the most essential part of my life, and I hope yours too, though I can appreciate if you may rank a few other things perhaps higher, family, God, country. Those are different kinds of institutions, of course, not, not voluntary for one, not at their inception anyway, and they each do require a form of justice too, which I think interesting. But back to friends, my resolution each year is to pay tribute to them and to try to be a better friend myself. It's not the kind of resolution that, say, with dieting or something else is self-serving exactly, 
because I'm trying to be a better friend to others. So this year, I want to shout out to a special friend or group of friends who took a chance on me here first in giving me this radio show. Over some time, his family, as other families have as well, adopted me, not only bringing me into their fold at their home, but also inviting me into their lives and the lives of their children. One cannot overstate the trust one must have in someone to bring them into the lives of their children. And as I write this or say it now, it dawns on me I'm now speaking actually of two families. Interestingly enough, the first one I mentioned introduced me to the second, which also brought me in, adopted me, invited me into the life of their very special child, too. To trust someone from outside their family with their children must be the highest form of trust there is, which is what makes a bond of friendship with such families all the more special and an honor to be part of, which seems to me as good a place as any to speak about a societal resolution I would love us all to undertake for the new year. A serious redressing of the moral and educational void in our culture as it pertains to the bringing up of children. Teddy Roosevelt said that to educate a man in the mind and not the morals is to educate a menace to society. Why cannot each and every one of us make a simple commitment to our young adults, each one reaching one? Maybe something as simple as giving them a good book. And if that opportunity is not available, perhaps writing something too or about what is being done in a society that too easily corrupts too many of our children. I spoke last week about what children get from Teen Vogue and the Cartoon Network. The importance of those things, rotten, should not be dismissed. Neil Postman, in his book, The Disappearance of Childhood, writes the following. To have to stand and wait as the charm, malleability, innocence, and curiosity of children are degraded and then transmogrified into the lesser features of future adulthood is painful, embarrassing, and above all else, sad. But I have consoled myself with this thought. If one cannot say anything about how we may prevent a social disaster, perhaps one may also serve by trying to understand why it is occurring. Children are a force preserving childhood. Not a political force, certainly, but a kind of moral force. Children, it would seem, not only know there is value in being different from adults, but care that a distinction do be made. They know perhaps better than adults that something terribly important is lost if that distinction is blurred. American culture is hostile to the idea of childhood, but it is a comforting, even exhilarating thought to know children are not. All of which I think is true biconditionally and logically if and only if adults stop using children as a political force and cease the propagandizing of them for their own political wishes and mischief. Aristotle had a good read on it, and modern psychology and other contemporary studies back him up. We teach by habit, we teach by precept, and we teach by example. Aristotle says that habituation at an early age makes more than a little difference. It can make almost all the difference. So there it seems to me as a good charge to adults for resolutions that aid and assist the moral raising of our children, our country's children. Present yourself, adults, in the world in such a way as to example, exhibit goodness, decency, and moral health to children who are watching you, and they are always watching you. Which is why I never loved the expression that character is who you are when nobody is watching. As a matter of self-discipline, that charge is important. As a matter of teaching by habit, 
precept and example. Character matters just as much when people are watching, especially young people. And as I say, they are always watching. Back if I made a resolutions in the new year. Our politics cannot be exempt. We cannot live in stasis and we should never settle. This country has been known as the innovation nation. It was created with a motto of Novus Order Cicloum, a new order of the ages. We were once the can-do country where people ran to and for a better life and more liberty and more safety and the rule of law and the opportunity to make something of themselves and their progeny. They did not run here and we were not founded as a place of liberty to go backward. And yet we seem to be in a political place of paralysis just now. Every few months we have a budget debate as we are concluding one this week. Every few weeks, a hot spot in the world becomes exceedingly hot again, and we debate sanctions and military actions and negotiations. And it's always, by the way, the same three or four hot spots with little recognition that the wheel is the problem rather than the spokes. The Lord is the problem, not the rings. And we have a problem even understanding what constitutes a free and fair election. And we reach for things that make us feel better temporarily rather than do the things that actually work, sometimes requiring hard effort to get them to work. But until we truly embrace the meaning of this holiday season, charity, goodwill, the importance of every child as if he or she were our own, we will be spinning our wheels, the same wheels, over and over again. That's not resolution any more than it's a successful revolution. This takes a new kind of maturity in our political and cultural debates, a maturity that, yes, does look both forward and back. So let us look back to an anniversary we missed last week, dating back 221 years, the death of our most important founder, General George Washington. When he died, Thomas Jefferson said this of him, quote, perhaps the strongest feature in his character was prudence never acting until every circumstance, every consideration was maturely weighed, refraining if he saw a doubt, but when once decided, going through with his purpose, whatever obstacles opposed, his integrity was most pure, his justice the most inflexible I have ever known, no motives of interest or consanguinity, of friendship or hatred, being able to bias his decisions. He was indeed, in every sense of the words, a wise, a good, and great man. Quote. Let us strive to emulate that, those old virtues, as we move forward to cure ourselves of our current vices. The beginning of our political and cultural repair, I believe, we should all think of as our New Year resolution. And more gratitude all the way around goes a long way, too. So with that, let me give one big thank you to all of you, and especially the Ryans and the Blacks, whom I was speaking of above. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth. Our phone number six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Your show all the way through, except in the third hour, will be joined by our good friend Pete Peterson to do a year in review. But uh, we are um, clearing out the decks of our live show. This will be considered our New Year's show a little bit early, right? One day early, but it'll be our New Year's show, nonetheless. And let me put in a plug for one of the finest films of the year. It's the life story of Herman Cain, 
and it's Poor to CEO, The Incredible Journey of Herman Cain. Herman was a great man, a great radio broadcaster, um, CEO of Godfather's Pizza, made a lot of national news right around 1993, 94, when he challenged Bill Clinton at a town hall on Hillary Care, and that was his first foray on the national scene into politics, really um, starting st- the steam the steamroll to stop Hillary Care back, if you can remember, to 93, 94, and that fight. But Herman Cain's story is just an amazing story about hard work, the power of personal responsibility, the importance of a good education, gratitude, and you can watch it right now at SalemNow.com. That's SalemNow.com. Use the promo code PHOENIX to save 20%. Porta CEO, the Herman Cain story, available at SalemNow.com. Bear with me on this story. Alleging widespread irregularities on Election Day, a group of Republicans in Congress objected to the counting of Pennsylvania's electoral votes, delaying the official certification of the 2016 presidential election results. The move was not designed to necessarily overturn the re-election, said said one of the representatives and one of the senators who filed the objection. The objecting Republicans, most of whom are House members, said they wanted to draw attention to the need for election reform and what they said were widespread problems. Interesting story that. You think I'm talking about Josh Hawley and the Republicans in the House of Representatives? Trying to, I'm not, I changed the words in this story from 2005. And it's a CNN story. Now let me just read it to you verbatim from CNN in 2005, the way it was actually written without me replacing the words. Alleging widespread irregularities on Election Day, a group of Democrats in Congress objected to the counting of Ohio's 20 electoral votes, delaying the official certification of the 2004 presidential election results. The move was not designed to necessarily overturn the re-election of President Bush, said Ohio Representative Stephanie Stephanie Tubb-Jones and California Senator Barbara Boxer, who filed the objection. So with all this sturmendering about what Josh Hawley did here today by filing a notice that he will support the House measure to debate the election results next month, January 6th, Barbara Boxer did this. Barbara Boxer did this as a Democrat in 2005 over the re-election of George Bush. Barbara Boxer did this. CNN, no media, none, called her an obstructionist or engaging in largely discredited voter fraud claims. Didn't happen. It's been done before. It's been done in our lifetimes. It's been done in relatively recent memory. Barbara Boxer regarding Ohio. Democrats challenging the outcome of the Ohio 
slate of electors going for President George W. Bush, citing irregularities and fraud. It's been done before. Okay? Everyone just calm down a little bit. Josh Hawley is not the, is not the second coming of, I don't know, Sidney Powell or something. He is not. He might be the second coming of Barbara Boxer, but CNN would never tell you that. He's only doing what she did. He's only doing what she did. And it didn't work out for Barbara Boxer. It probably won't work out. It probably won't work out in this case either. But is it worth having a two-hour debate over irregularities that can't get fair hearings in court? Who could say it isn't? Who could say it's not worth a two-hour debate? Who could not say that when you have over 40% of the American population doubting the results of the election as sacrosanct, as absent any fraud? How do you go forward? Well, one way you don't go forward is with the considered – that's okay. What do you got? One? That's okay. What do I got? I have two left? Okay. Um, No worries. One of the ways you go about satisfying the 40-plus percent of Americans, which is a large bulk of Americans who are distrusting the results of the election, is to quit kicking them in the teeth, which Joe Biden seems to do every time he takes to the microphone. A little gratitude would go a long way and a little humility would go a long way. Although, do you ever sometimes get the sense that Joe Biden even himself can't believe he's the president-elect? Do you kind of get that sense a little bit that why is he so tentative and soft at the microphone? There is no lift there, and I want to talk to you about the importance of lift. What with him talking about our darkest days ahead? What with him talking about a dark winter? What with him talking about unprecedented obstruction from the outgoing administration? You know what out, you know what unprecedented obstruction from an outgoing administration was? Spying on the incoming administration. That's obstruction. Spying on the incoming administration's top nominees for top positions like national security advisor. That's obstruction. Joe Biden has no case here for obstruction. And I want to, as I said, talk a little bit about the dark winter he is forecasting for us. I've never heard a president-elect talk that way. I mean, even Barack Obama didn't. Bill Clinton, don't stop thinking about tomorrow, was the Fleetwood Mac theme song of the Clinton incoming administration. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Delighted to have John Dombrowski with us for our culture and economy update. He of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. Happy New Year, John. Hey, Happy New Year, Seth. How's it going? We're doing fine. This is our annual New Year show. We're close. We're, we're, we're close. close. But this is, we're calling it now. Hey, Seth, you know, this is interesting. By the way, uh, we hear all about uh, socialism and we hear about... Uh, you know, some of the policies that are coming from the left. And if you think and look back, uh, the first country in the world to be based on Marxist socialism 
occurred on this date in 1936. That's the, right. The and USSR. That's right. It was changed from the Russian, what was it called before, the Russian Federation or something like right, that, to, uh, to the USSR, right. which is the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Yes. And I always point out, yes, uh, socialist is in the name. That was one of the S's. Mm-hmm. But read those constitutions. They had three different constitutions, all of them substantiating communism. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And the country was run by, you know, run by the government, owned by the government. Yes, sir. It, it just, it's... You know, we we just don't understand that here in this country. No, and I think part of it, I've had a thesis, is um, the the reason. I think part of the reason we're seeing a resurgent uh, interest in socialism here is because we didn't rightly celebrate the fall of the Berlin Wall. Mm. We were too blasé about it. I yeah. think. I think. Anyway, we can talk about that later. I want to end a year, do a little bit of a look back, uh, John, yeah. with you, if I can. Big stories of the market, overall market performances over the course of this year? Well, if you think about it, of course, we've gone through one of the the pandemic. Just think of the pandemic that we've been through and the volatility that that created and the, the havoc that it created to the economy. And we talked about this the other day, how even though uh, there was such a drastic effect on the economy of this country, we still were able to get through it relatively um, – unscathed for the markets. Now, this is for the stock market. I'm not talking about individuals out there who have lost their jobs and such, but the markets in general, it's amazing if you think about it. Um, I'm looking back here, just the Dow Jones Industrial Average still closed, will be closing somewhere around 7% higher for the year, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. But it's underperformed when you look at the other indexes. Mm -hmm. The Standard & Poor 500 was up 16 approximately Mm -hmm. percent for the year. Mm -hmm. And then the NASDAQ up over 40% in a year when we've had a pandemic. Yeah. It's amazing what happened to the stock market. Uh, and for those out there who weren't able to participate in that, it's a, it's a shame because it was such a shock to the, to the country. And people, of course, panic, and I understand that. But sometimes that emotion um, that's, that occurs during market fluctuations like this, uh, creates a little bit of nervousness or a lot of nervousness, and people do things. But you always say stay do. in and go long, don't you? Well, I'm not saying that you necessarily have to stay in, but it's where you're invested okay. is, the, is the key, right? So we made adjustments to the portfolios during the volatility, uh, and we divested ourselves from some of the risk and then ultimately went back in and took advantage of some of the lower prices. So, But those were based on, you know, our are facts that we that we saw in the economy and in the in the markets not an emotional decision good and that's that's what i think people need to really look at good one of the things you were very good at this year john because a lot of these stories brought with them a lot of um opportunities shall we say for uh for ne'er-do-wells fraudsters people engaging in fraud defrauding others sure and uh, you were very good at alerting us to a lot of that Looks like we may need to tighten those screws a little on the latest stimulus package, too, right? Yeah, it's interesting, right? You would think. We heard all about the the companies out there that took advantage of the first uh, PPP plan. And now we've got this additional stimulus plan that has come out. But from what we're seeing in here, it doesn't look like like they've addressed that possibility to occur again. Uh, and, And talking about trying to understand how they can monitor... Uh, or review before they give these loans to businesses, 
um, if they would truly qualify or not. And in this case, it looks like they really haven't done that. Yeah. And that's sad to say, but isn't that basically government in Yeah, general? no, it is. I, mean, they ha- I don't think they've standard. done a good job of tailoring it, and I don't think they've done a good job of uh, preventing fraud, which we will see stories on, I have no doubt. And the second one, we would imagine, because of all the time it took mm-hmm. to get to this yep. point, that yep. they should have been able to you address bet. that. You bet. But, but unfortunately, not the case. Unfortunately not. Let me wish you a very happy New Year, John. Same to you, Seth. Look forward to talking to you next Thank year. You Securities and Advisory Services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FinRed, Sipkin, and Investment Advisor, Grand King and Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. For those New Year's uh, resolutions out there, it's time to get your finances in order. Thank you, John Dombrowski. Bye bye. Bye bye. I'm Seth Leaps. I'm Seth Leaps in 602 We'll be right back. You know what I think I've decided? This song is better as it goes further. We can take it out of the rotation for an incoming. It's better on the out, if that makes sense, Bill. 602-508-0960. I want to do a shout-out to my friend Maddie, who I understand is listening and running some errands with her mom. By the way, I, you know, I was saying earlier, all these Joe Biden um, ones inclined to say press conferences, but they're not. He doesn't take any questions. Uh, speeches, many speeches that he's been delivering. Um, whatever happened to the, the um, glass ceiling breaking vice president elect Kamala Harris? Has anyone seen or heard from her? Is she doing any major interviews except for showing us that she got the vaccine and the hypocrisy of that, given what she said during the campaign and not taking it? If it was Donald Trump's vaccine, aside from her being seen taking the vaccine, is she doing any interviews? Is she doing any pressers? Is she taking any questions? I typed in the Google machine Kamala Harris role model girls because I remember a lot of stories about that. For example, this headline, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is the ultimate role model. Or this one, Kamala Harris's role model and a reminder of how far we still have to go. Or this one, college women wait to see if Kamala Harris will be a progressive role model. Or this one, Kamala Harris, a role model for all generations. Or this one, female Eagle Scout inspired to see Kamala Harris become vice president-elect. All these, all these uh, inspirational uh uh, uh, wishes, stories, and, and, and plaudits about Kamala Harris being this role model for women. How would they know? Where is she? Why is she being kept under a lid? And um, is is that okay? Is that okay? Uh, it, it's, 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 there's, a, there's a lot of weirdness going on. I'm telling you, a lot of odd things about the office of the president and vice president-elect, so to speak. It's really odd. Not taking questions, the short speeches. I guess I know why they're short. I don't think he can sustain much. The absence of Kamala. Most interviews, Jill Biden by Joe Biden's side. I don't remember seeing much of that in the past, uh, as if she's his nurse or something. Anyway, the other odd thing is how darkly he talks, how, how foreboding he is predicting the future on his watch issues and insights uh put it this way they said um they wrote i should say um six days after the election 
Joe Biden said before the surge in COVID cases, we predicted, many predicted the deaths rise that we've seen in December. We head into a very dark winter. We remain in the midst, he said, we remain in the midst of one of the worst economic job crises in modern history. Apparently, it never occurred to Biden and his handlers that government intervention, not the virus, caused the 2020s downturns, nor have they even begun to understand that Democrats' economic policies filled with steep punitive taxes and impossible to jump regulatory hurdles are a slow motion march of the economic lockdowns that almost instantly paralyzed the economy this year. A lack of optimism in a Biden economy is uh, is getting more and more widespread. CNBC reports Wall Street investors largely believe a Joe Biden presidency could mean lower stock market returns. CNBC's report was based on the network survey of more than one chief invest, 100 chief investment officers and portfolio managers. Two thirds said the first four years of Biden will be worse for stocks than Trump's. Should we care about stock performance? Of course we should. Wall Street and Main Street USA meet at a large and busy intersection. I've never thought there was a division anymore in this economy. More than half of the country, something like 55 percent, owns stock. That's down from the two-thirds that owned stock in 2002, but still more than enough for stock performance to matter. Developments that would hurt the economy, New Green Deal, whether it's the New Green Deal or the Green Deal light, a government-run banking system that would undermine private banks, the possibility Biden will close the economy to the extent he can, Increase in corporate taxes, increase in income taxes, increase in the restoration of the Obamacare penalty tax. It's not good. It's not good. The darkness he's forecasting is a darkness that could be avoided if he would take a second look at standard issue democratic fiscal policies. That's what I think anyway. And uh, making the point all the more important about what's going to be taking place in Georgia six days from today, a week ago yesterday. The election in Georgia is a huge, huge battle in this war. I'll reiterate. I'll reiterate. The Senate with a Republican majority can stop a lot of a Democratic president's or Joe Biden's presidency's plans for the economy and other things. It can. Then people will say, yeah, but executive orders. Yes, he will do things via, he will try to do things via executive order. And the only way to stop that is through the courts. There's this ridiculously absurd story out of Georgia that a federal district court tossed a lawsuit by the Republican Party in Georgia, Republican actors in Georgia, and she she tossed it fairly peremptorily, and she's Stacey Abrams' sister. She had no business sitting in on that case, none at all. She should have recused herself, Stacey Abrams being the the, uh, Democrat in Georgia who is uh, basically – who. Well, she lost the race for governor to, to, to Governor Brian Kemp, but she is now the leader of the pack in Georgia for the Democrats to try and seat 
uh, Joel Osoff and, uh, and Raphael Warnock. That's the judge's sister. How did that sister get there? President Obama nominated her and a U.S. Senate confirmed her. You can stop this stuff with a Mitch McConnell Republican Senate majority. And by the way, whatever people want to say about Mitch McConnell, and I've had a lot of concerns about Mitch McConnell, he's good on that most important of issues, the federal judiciary. He's fantastic on it. Fantastic on it. Um, So that's how important Georgia is. For people to say, what's the use? There's a lot of use. Don't give up on Georgia, and it's not too late to get involved, help donate to one of the campaigns. If I were suggesting a campaign, I would say the Purdue campaign is the one to help out if you can. That's the one that's a little bit more, that's a little closer and a little less funded. And don't give up hope. As, as Kurt Schlichter said today, we may have lost a battle but we haven't on November 3rd, but we haven't lost a war unless we lose more battles. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Listener, uh, writer, caller Charles makes a good point. He writes, Dear Seth, speaking of role models, why are only people on the left considered role models anymore? Is it because the left's media and cultural influence elite know that the left must rely on role models because they have no structure in their lives to create family and neighborhood role models? People on the right or people in the mainstream middle American world have priests, ministers, rabbis, coaches, teachers – and family members that provide role models. They have the core family unit, the nuclear family with two parents. It is the left that must depend upon celebrities, politicians, and 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 athletes to be role models. Just a thought. I think role models are important. I think role models um, uh, are 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 important, especially for the young and for adults to show the young who to follow who to track, who to esteem, who to honor. Children look for heroes. Children love heroes. Stories of heroes go back all the way to um, really medieval times, even more than medieval, even pre-medieval times. They go back all the way to Plato's Republic, don't they? And the stories were to teach our children according to Plato. They go back to ancient times. But Charles is right. When's the last time the media heralded someone who is deemed conservative as a role model? One, one, one thinks of what Amy Barrett stands for, mother of seven children, esteemed professor of law, now Supreme Court justice. Second Republican Supreme Court justice? Did anyone say that's a role model? No. In fact, what you got were professors like Ibrahim Kendi at Boston University saying things like she was doing great damage to the black community for adopting a black child. Do you remember that? That's what you got from the left. Um. Charles, it's just part and parcel of this growing concern that anyone considered center-right and beyond 
to the starboard side is just not worthy of being recognized, listened to, or even existing. Even existing. Brett Kavanaugh, who spent his spare time coaching college, excuse me, coaching high school female basketball, should have been a hero. They tried to destroy him for politics and go after him on the thing he was most heroic for. By the way, having hired more female law clerks than the role model hero Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Do you know that about Kavanaugh? Bet you didn't. Be right back. <laughs> 